Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer. And I'm so happy you're here. Today, I'm super excited to chat with litigator and former journalist, Sakina Babwani, about writing affidavits. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Sakina. Thank you for having me, Shelley. Well, thanks so much for being here. How about getting us started by introducing yourself? Um, So I am a senior associate in the litigation group at Bennett Jones, and my practice is essentially focused on class actions, commercial litigation, and privacy law. Uh, Prior to becoming a lawyer, as you noted, I was a journalist with a business daily in India, and I wrote extensively on law and finance. I also have an LLM from Berkeley School of Law, and I've been practicing in Toronto for about six years now. Fantastic. What a varied background. I love your writing background, of course, and I'm wondering how that affects your writing of affidavits, because so, so different, uh, writing as a journalist and, of course, writing as a lawyer, but particularly affidavits. Did you find that challenging at first? I think writing an affidavit is always a bit challenging because what you're trying to accomplish with an affidavit is quite different from, say, a factum or a pleading. But in general, I think my background that aligns with writing an affidavit is affidavit is still the venue where you tell your client's story. And having some uh, background with writing stories as a journalist or even as a lawyer, I think that has shaped in a way, my writing style and how I approach how I'm going to address a certain issue. That makes such good sense. And I often don't think about um, an affidavit as sort of telling a story. Um, Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And when, when do we write affidavits in general? An affidavit is really a medium to tender evidence. Typically, you will find an affidavit is used to support or oppose grounds that are set out in a notice of application or in a notice of motion. So what you're really doing with this affidavit is you're expanding on the factual basis that you've set out in the underlying notice of application or motion. So when you are trying to decide how to write an affidavit or what you really want to say in the affidavit, as I mentioned earlier, you're telling a story. But really, the facts that you would cover in the affidavit have to be constrained to the issues that you raised in your notice of application or motion. Okay. And I think I remember when I would drop affidavits, often sort of getting a precedent and thinking I can just adapt it to the new situation. But, you know, being mindful of the issues raised, that is key, I, I imagine. Absolutely, right? Because every affidavit is going to be different in the sense that who the affiant is, what the issues are, what you're trying to accomplish differs from case to case. And that those those factors are quite important in considering what really goes into your affidavit. Yeah. So what kinds of things, I mean, I guess, what are some of the things to look out for when we think about what to include in an affidavit? So I think the starting point, you should know the rules that govern the drafting of an affidavit. 
So as an example, Rule 4.062 of the Rules of Civil Procedure state that an affidavit shall be confined to the statement of facts within the personal knowledge of the deponent or to other evidence that the deponent could give if testifying as a witness in court. Essentially, this means that your affiant, the person that's swearing or affirming the affidavit, must have personal knowledge of what you're saying in it. It does not mean that you could not include information based on information and belief, but those circumstances are quite limited. So rules, for example, rules 39.014 and 5 do say that an affidavit on a motion could contain statements of deponent's information and belief, but you have to state the source of that information and the fact of belief and it should be limited to facts that are not contentious. I mean, in certain very limited circumstances, for example, there's a non-controversial letter that counsel sent to opposing counsel, which you want to include in an affidavit. You might choose to do, for example, an assistance affidavit that is based on information and belief. But where there are more contentious issues that are really the center of the dispute, you might, the deponent must have personal knowledge of the facts that they are testifying to. Right. I was just thinking about who should be, um, like who the affiant should be, because you're saying sometimes it's an an assistant might be the better person to um, be attesting to sort of the, the, um, the facts in the affidavit. How do you decide who the best person to depose the affidavit would be? That would really depend on what subject matter you're covering in the affidavit. So try to understand what is the desired result that you're trying to achieve with, say, your application record or your motion record. Then you identify the facts that you need to achieve that desired result. Then see who's the best person who could testify to those facts. As I said earlier, if this is really a subject matter of dispute, as an example, a business dispute where two shareholders are disputing over a business and all of your facts pertain to what happened or what transpired between those two shareholders, it wouldn't be appropriate for your assistant to swear to an affidavit because then that would be complete hearsay, all based on information and belief. In that case, you would really need the shareholder who actually has knowledge of those um, issues uh, as, as a person swearing the affidavit. But on the other hand, if it's something just a simple affidavit that just simply includes correspondence sent by one lawyer to another lawyer, and the fact of that correspondence is not really an issue, you might go with an assistant simply attaching um, those correspondence. Right, right. So, So thinking about the best, like the person who has the best evidence, I guess, or the best personal knowledge of the particular facts or evidence. Right. That's a good way to put it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So when it comes to telling that story, is there a, an order that makes most sense in most cases? Like often think about chronological order being, you know, um, sort of the, the common way to tell a story. Does that apply in affidavits as well? Usually, yes. I think the whole idea is to keep your story very clear and easy to read, right? The, the audience that is reading that affidavit is going to be the judge of the session maker. And 
that judge or decision maker is not always going to know the details of your case, not going to have all the contact. So what you're trying to accomplish with this affidavit is to tell the judge or the decision maker that, look, this is what happened. And the best way to tell this is what happened is to be chronological, to approach it step by step. Um, I would not really deviate from that way of presenting my evidence because I think that is the easiest way for a judge to read and understand what happened. Going back and forth between multiple dates and jumping around just creates confusion. And I think you do a disservice to your client by if you address it in that manner. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the natural way that we expect to- stories to unfold uh, mm-hmm. is chronologically. Um, yeah, I've seen um, the advice somewhere that we should consider summarizing the key facts or the events in a concluding paragraph in an affidavit. What are your thoughts on that? I think that would really depend on the complexity of issues. Sometimes you might choose to, you know, have an overview in your affidavit that succinctly summarizes all the points that you're going to be addressing, especially if it's a very, very long affidavit. If not, I mean, if it's a simple affidavit and it's very, you're not, not jumping through too many timelines or covering too many complex facts, I don't think you might really require a concluding paragraph. So I think it's really context specific. Okay. Cause I'm thinking of, yeah, at particular, if there is something complicated, it's, and then thinking about the way the judge would be reading it. Um, you know, maybe just sort of going to the end and trying to get a sense if there isn't an overview of what this is all about, um, having read the notice of motion and seen what the grounds are and getting a sense of what the legal issues are. I was just wondering if that um, was something that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Something else I'm just thinking that we talked a little bit about, um, including relevant facts. And something else that I found particularly challenging was um, distinguishing fact from opinion. Do you have any suggestions to to help with that? You know, it's actually a very, very difficult topic because people seldom are able to identify the difference between fact and opinion. It's largely because people genuinely believe that their opinion is a fact. Uh, I mean... (laughs) As a simple thing, right? Like you read an affidavit, say you're doing a responding affidavit to uh, a plaintiff's affidavit that says that they, the parties never concluded an agreement and your response is, no, that's not true. They did conclude an agreement. And you might think, oh, well, the, the plaintiff is lying here. So the fact that you're saying the plaintiff is lying is actually an opinion. That's not a fact. But the person who is thinking about it might think of it as a fact because they genuinely believe that the other side is lying. So the proper way to address it would be that the plaintiff is wrong to state that we did not conclude an agreement. We, in fact, did conclude an agreement on, let's say, May 30th, 2023, and attached is a copy of that agreement. So the facts are what happened and not really what you feel or what you think the other person or the other side is doing. Right. Or drawing a conclusion from those facts. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering about the diff, like your different roles, because you're not always the moving party or the applicant when you submit an affidavit. So, you know, are there different considerations when you are respondent, um, you know, moving party, uh, when you're replying? Yeah, I mean, that is a very good point to keep in mind, because 
yes, it is your story to tell, but how you're telling the story or what you're doing also shifts between what you are really doing as your or your role. If you're the moving party, you're the first, this is the first time the judge is going to hear what the story is. So this is your chance to tell what really happened. You don't have any um, thing to respond to. You're just going ahead and saying, these are the facts. This is what happened. But if you're the respondent, you already have someone who's told the story, someone who's already set out what they believed happened. So now is your chance to clarify that story. There will be things that you agree with and there'll be things that you don't agree with. So your responding affidavit should say, okay, well, I don't agree with this paragraph. What in fact really happened was this. That's what you really do on responding affidavit. In a responding affidavit, you're not going to go off and start off a new story. You're not really doing that. You're simply responding to what the other side has already said. Then based on a responding affidavit, you may choose to do a reply. Replies, again, you have to be careful on whether you really need a reply. You're not going to use a reply affidavit to repeat all that you already said in your moving parties affidavit. And you're also not going to start off on a new story. You just simply, if there are things that the respondent has raised in their affidavit that you think needs to be responded to, then you use a reply. And then last is a surreply, which is really used sparingly because seldom there will be instances where the other side has raised something in their reply that needs further responding to. Now, the reason I say it should be used sparingly because you really don't want affidavits to become a he said, she said war. Oh, mm. this person has said this, so now I need to respond, and then I need to respond. And it reminds me of a very interesting story that I had worked on a case where each side just kept doing replies and so replies. And in the end, we had 20 affidavits. Oh. And, yeah, I mean, it was insane. It was 20 affidavits and no one was saying anything that they hadn't already said in the first instance. So you can only imagine the judge's frustration when he saw 20 affidavits filed. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a reminder to not, you don't have to be, you don't have to always have the last word. Unless it's something that really needs to be told, avoid using a sir reply. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, such good advice because, oh my goodness, I could just go on and on and on and not helpful to anybody. Uh, yeah, and it becomes just all about ego as opposed to, as you're saying, like the, the audience is the court, the judge. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering too, if there's any sort of any suggestions that you might have um, before you even start writing, like when you're sort of preparing to write an affidavit, like, do you have a process that you go through? Or is there anything that you could identify that would be helpful for people to keep in mind as they're getting ready to write an affidavit? Yeah, so I think uh, its starting point is to know what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, trying to figure out uh, if, say, for example, you're doing it's an it's an affidavit to support a notice of application where you're seeking particular relief. You have to know what the law for that relief is. What are the elements or that you need to cover to make a successful argument, and then know what kind of facts are needed to support that argument. That will help you identify who is going to be the right affiant. What all you're going to need. I mean, to be clear, I'm not saying to make up facts, obviously, that support, but just to know whether hey, you even have a case or not. Because many times what people do is to start off writing an affidavit 
And then when it really comes to doing a fact and researching the law and they realize that, oh, well, I actually do not have the facts that support. I may not have really have a case here at all. So I think many times, especially on very complex issues where the law is not, uh, it's something that you need to research on. We do encourage doing some preliminary research and knowing what what it is that you're going to require legally to support that cause of action or or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, and then approach the process of identifying the correct affiant who might have knowledge in relation to those facts needed, and then write the actual affidavit. Right. And on that point, mm-hmm. do you think it's a good idea to have the affiant prepare a first draft or a summary of the facts or something like that? Uh, it is, again, context-specific. In certain issues, we might you might encourage the client to send over their notes or to send over their documents, and you may sit with the client and try and understand what the story is. When it really comes to drafting the affidavit itself, I think it's best for the lawyer to do it rather than asking the client because clients typically tend to be very emotionally charged and they have a very hard time keeping their opinions out of the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really encourage the client to write the draft, but I may ask the client for a summary or just simply provide us the documents and sit down with us and talk to us and tell us what it is that happened. Right, right. And in terms of what's relevant, it's really difficult for them to know that because that's based on the law, which for the most part, they're not going to be as well versed on as you are. Absolutely. That's true at all. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I'm I'm thinking about too is knowing that affidavits um, are subject to cross-examination, how much should we keep that in mind when we're drafting? Like, should we be thinking about the possibility of cross-examination when we're drafting the affidavit? Yes, definitely. You have to keep in mind that your client, if he's the one that is, he or she's the one that's swearing the affidavit, will be cross-examined. Seldom the other side will give up an opportunity to verify the facts, to, you know, make sure what they have is accurate or not. So there are a couple of things that you want to keep in mind when you are doing the affidavit. Uh, One is that if you are referencing documents, you want to make sure that you are attaching the document as an exhibit, not simply referencing that, okay, for example, on May 30, 2023, we signed an agreement and did not actually include the agreement. If you do it that way, the other side is going to use a cross-examination to produce the documents that you have not produced. And the other thing is where you have actually attached documents, you want to make sure the description or the narrative that you have actually matches what the document says. And this is where we go back to, you know, facts versus opinions or conclusions. Oftentimes, people have this have a hard time resisting the temptation to describe something or to fill in their own interpretation of what the document document means. And then that you're opening yourself up to cross-examination. And the other side might use that to discredit your client, right? Say, well, you described this document in this fashion, but that's not really what the document says. So (laughs) it can be very embarrassing in a difficult situation. Do you want to keep those things in mind when you are drafting your affidavit? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess the admissibility of the um, the exhibits that you're attaching, like you certainly don't want to make that mistake of attaching something that's not admissible. Yes, that's another thing that people must keep in mind, right? Uh, relevant documents, things that sometimes people will include things that are inflammatory, designed to paint the other side in a bad fashion, even though it's not relevant to the issues at hand. And you do those things and you really open up your affidavit to the the possibility of your affidavit being struck. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going back to sort of the, the, the challenges that I remember myself experiencing in writing uh, affidavits and thinking about, okay, is this a persuasive document? Like, what's sort of the underlying purpose of it? An affidavit is not really the venue for you to argue your whole case, but still you can use some advocacy to, you know, be persuasive. Uh, knowing what you're really doing here is putting your facts out there. An affidavit gives you an opportunity to bring some context to the case, you know. In some instances, for example, there may be bad facts. And this is an affidavit could be your opportunity to put those bad facts in perspective. Um, I think the whole strategy behind writing an affidavit, an effective or a persuasive affidavit, is to, to well, you don't want to obviously cross the line and make arguments, but you also want to make sure the language that you're using, the way you're framing it is persuasive. If you want to, for example, say that the plaintiff attached, say, an agreement um, at, uh, at Exhibit A, which says that we entered into this agreement, and but there is a subsequent email that refutes that agreement, you want to use your affidavit to put that into context and say, well, yes, the plaintiff has made this, this or has said this particular fact. Plaintiff omits to mention that there were these other facts that followed. You can say it in that fashion and use that as an opportunity to discredit the plaintiff and put out your story. But you also don't want to be calling the plaintiff a liar or um, putting in details that have nothing to do with the actual dispute. Right. Yeah. And I imagine that's a, a big challenge, right? It's like deciding, okay, well, how much how much is, is enough? Like, when do you decide that there's too much detail? Yeah. That again becomes very context specific, right? I think the question that you ask yourself is what is the end motive here and what are the facts I really need? Do I really need this extra bit to support my case or am I just using this because I think it makes the other side look bad? Yeah, yeah. And something else that comes to mind as you're saying that you're talking about sort of uh, language, um, the idea of writing in the affiance language and tone. So trying to make it sound like it's not necessarily written by a lawyer. Any sort of tips on that? Yeah. So I think affidavits, again, it goes back to keeping it, keeping the language simple. I mean, even though a lawyer is drafting it, you really do not need to fill it with legal language. At the end of the day, it's really the affiant who is swearing to it. And when there is going to be a cross-examination, the affiant needs to know what the affidavit says and should be able to answer the questions. So I think you want to avoid complex language. You want to avoid legal terms. You want to keep it simple. Uh, sometimes, you know, I we've done this where you're, say, representing an individual and they're describing a personal incident relating to, say, their mother, who is the subject of the, the dispute. You may not want you. You may not have to refer to the person as 
Mrs. Babwani, but you can say, you know, my mother said this. So when you're as an as a lawyer writing the affidavit, you might refer to the the person as Mrs. Babwani, but now you think about the fact that it's really the client who is right is swearing this affidavit. So you change a little bit, you know, a little bit things that were here and there to make it sound like it's really the client's story. But those are like small tips that I I think it's helpful to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that's something it's difficult to do when you're writing your first draft. So certainly a reason to be rewriting, reviewing, making sure that you, you know, don't leave those kinds of things in in the final draft, because that would be kind of embarrassing. <laughs> and yeah. And then to send off a draft to your client and have them read it and see if there's anything that they disagree with, anything that they don't understand, because after all, it's really their affidavit. Good point. Yeah. And then like tone, like, does it sound like them also? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering too, if, you know, using contractions and like things like that can help it sound like more as if it's not written by a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I remember one instance uh, where we, there was a commercial dispute and the other side had a couple of employees swear an affidavit in support of their client, but both affidavits were identical basically lawyer drafted saying, okay, we support this person and have the affidavit swear to it. And it really put those affidavits in a bit of a pickle when they were being cross-examined because they didn't quite understand what they had sworn to. And it can, I think, be embarrassing. It can um, discredit your client's case. So I think those are things to keep in mind, especially when you are having um, someone swear an affidavit that you have drafted. Have they really understood what they are signing to? Do they know what the issues are? Will they be able to stand, defend what the affidavit says at cross-examination? Yeah, I mean, that, that's huge to be able to be cross-examined. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if there are any other sort of drafting tips or things to help enhance the readability. Uh, you talked about, you know, the court or judge reading an affidavit and you sort of want to make it easy for them um, to understand the story. Any specific drafting tips that come to mind for you? There are a couple of things that do come to mind. Uh, one is to avoid vague language. I mean, as an example, uh, let's say you write, the defendant says in her affidavit that we never concluded an agreement and she never bought my business. Wrong. I We did conclude an agreement. When you say like that, like wrong, you don't know what is wrong. Is it wrong that we never conclude an agreement? Is it wrong that she never bought the business? I think you want to be more specific, more clear. The defendant says in her affidavit, we never conclude an agreement. She is incorrect. We did conclude an agreement. And then you make a second point. You want to be precise and you want to be clear so that the ultimate audience, that is your judge, clearly understands what you're trying to say. And two, if there's ever a cross-examination, your there there is there is clarity on what you have said in the affidavit so the questions can be a little more easy for the other side to ask and for your client to understand and respond to yeah great point great point uh and something that um we see a lot in many different types of legal documents are headings and subheadings do they have a place in an affidavit 
I would encourage using headings, especially if it's a very long affidavit and you're covering a lot of facts in it. And having certain headings really helps the reader understand a narrative. There's some flow in it and you know what's going on. Uh, but for really shorter affidavits, I don't think it's required. If And especially if you're just simply uh, attaching correspondence or some sort of newspaper articles and there's nothing more than that, you might really not require headings. So again, it's a little context specific. Yeah, like the famous uh, legal answer. It depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I like that. I mean, you know, one size does not fit all. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be different depending on what the issues are, depending on like case, the complexity, like all of that. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is, that's the best answer sometimes that we can give. Well, super, super helpful tips, uh, Sakina. I'm just wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on that you think would be helpful to pass on to listeners. I think the one tip I did want to add is about providing context in your affidavit. What usually happens as lawyers is that we know what the client's story is, the client knows what his or her story is, but the judge doesn't. In in our um while trying to stay succinct and while trying to not, you know, provide excessive detail, sometimes we miss providing necessary context. But context is so important because whatever points you've made don't really stand out unless the judge has a complete sense of what it is that you're saying, right? So advocates should consider the use of context to argue, explain, and persuade. And that's really the tool that you can use in, in, in you know, the advocacy tool that you can use while, while drafting an affidavit. Just make sure that you've set the facts in proper context and the reader is fully understanding what you're saying. Don't let the facts hang without any context. Because the context is such a um, bit of a sort of theoretical term. Is there, can you think of an example? Would you be, is the idea provide maybe an overview paragraph or do you mean like within each paragraph to sort of set the context? For example, if you're going to be attaching, say, an agreement, if you want to say the defendant or the plaintiff and I, I agreed to buy the plaintiff's business and you attach the agreement. You might want to provide a little more detail on what that agreement was about or how that agreement came about. And that is your chance for a little bit of advocacy there, right? You obviously don't want to be drawing conclusions or, you know, writing opinions, but just explaining how that agreement came about. Oftentimes people will either provide too much pride opinion or they might just say, okay, well, you know, here's attached the agreement and not explain what that agreement is or how it came about. Right. So that background to situate the facts. Yeah. 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 Makes really good sense. Makes really good sense. Um, yeah. So, wow. What a wealth of information. Um, and I know that you have, um, taught a, a course for the Law Society of Ontario on advocacy in affidavit drafting. So, um, I'm wondering, is that something that is available? Um, sort of still is it? Yeah. If people want to access that, can they? I believe it is still available. And I think you can purchase it from the Law Society website. Okay. So it, it was a webinar, like it was recorded. Yes, it was a webinar. Yes. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. So how can listeners learn more about you and uh, follow you? And I'm sure you're going to be doing, you'll have many more teaching opportunities because it just seems to come so naturally to you. Oh, thank you for saying that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, people can reach out to me on LinkedIn. 
and um, or if they want to send me an email, that's fine too. Okay, so LinkedIn or the firm website at Bennett Jones. Yes. Okay. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Sakina. What a delight speaking with you about a topic that could be very boring, but it definitely wasn't. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity to discuss more about affidavits. It's a very interesting topic, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.